morning. All right, uh, you pray with me. Um, God, I just pray that as we come to your word, that um, you would uh, speak through us. We, we don't need to spend um, time uh, hearing merely human words, but uh, always your people have come to your word knowing that when, um, when it's preached, that you indeed are speaking. And so that's what we're asking for now as we hear from you. Um, very simply, that's just all we're asking. It's, uh, um, we just come to you as your children and ask you'll speak to us. So uh, please speak to me as well. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just before I start, there's a QR code uh, that should be on the screen now, which is if it helps you to kind of know where we're going, uh, there's a sermon outline you can get. Um, especially we've just tried if English is not your first language and you're like, I, it's too fast, I don't know what's going on. You can look at that um, outline and it will, you should hopefully know generally where we are and the outline should match some of the slides as we go so that you're like, oh, we're here now. So, um, Hopefully that's helpful to you, and we, we try to do that regularly. So um, that's also in the app if you don't have it, the Church Center app. So um, I've mentioned this show before because, I don't know, it always comes to mind uh, when I think about faith things, but um, there's, there's this uh, Food Network show that uh, Tanya and I used to watch on the regular, not so much these days, uh, called Restaurant Impossible, which is just a, um, you know, it's failing restaurants, they call the show and they say, please help us. Our restaurant is failing. We don't know why. And then um, uh, Chef Robert Irvine, who is a very large um, British man, comes in, who's a chef. And then he, he's supposed to, you know, over the course of two days or whatever, help them make their restaurant better. But what I want to focus on specifically is uh, there's always a moment where he comes into the restaurant and, and it's empty. And then he yells their names very loudly. So, you know, what, whatever their names are, right? And, and he yells, come in here, and then they come in, and then he's like, okay, well, you know, I want to see you serve some people. So they bring some people in, they serve the people, and then he, then he sits down, and he goes, he pulls out the menu, and he goes, all right, I'll have the, uh, this, and he orders like 18 things on the menu. He's like, bring it all to me, and then they bring it to him, and he inevitably eats it, and there's a variety of reactions. Occasionally, he says, yeah, this is pretty good, right? But most of the time, he, it's anything from like, uh, there's no seasoning, it's, it's bad, it's, the texture's no good, or, or he literally sometimes he like, he like puts it into the napkin. And then the worst is when he's like, this is not safe to eat. I'm not even gonna eat it. And then, you, and then occasionally on the episode, which is, you know, it's always like, this is, I don't know why we like shows in which people get yelled at and their food gets thrown in the trash, but this is what happens. He goes, you know where this food belongs? And he like puts it all into the trash, right? And uh, you know, what's funny though about this is the way that people react to that. So uh, uh, many times, you know, they've asked for help and they, they see it and maybe it's for the show and they've been told you can't say anything. But sometimes the contestant gets very mad. They say, how, how dare you come in here? Who, who do you think you are? Well, you called him, but you know, whatever. And, and they get mad and they go, no, this food's good. Lots of people eat this food. This is our customer's favorite, you know, whatever the, the dish is. Like they've come very proudly, you know, that's their life, like what they've been spending their lives doing. And sometimes they have this bad reaction to it. And that's not altogether different from the setting of today's reading. You see, if you remember last week, Jesus just healed on the Sabbath. And the chief religious leaders, the people who are trying to follow God as, as best as they can, they've told Jesus, 
what you're doing, this is not according to God's will. We've been working hard here, and we figured out that there's this set of rules by which we are really trying to follow God. I mean, that's why we're caught in this bad situation to begin with. We're under Rome because we didn't follow God, and we made these rules so we can follow God better. Jesus, you're doing this wrong. And Jesus essentially responds, well, no, actually, no, you're wrong. What you're preparing here is, is not good. And, 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 and he says, what I'm doing is according to God's will because it's according to my Father's will and according to mine. And so in some ways, he's not even just doing the like, this isn't good because I'm a better chef than you. I've got restaurants and I've got a show and you've come to me for help. He's really saying, I made food. This is my stuff. You, I can objectively say you haven't done this right because I'm the one who made it and this was made for me. And so their response, much like, much like the show, is that they try to kill him. Uh, and, 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 and they're trying to find ways to kill him. And so, you know, let's find some humility here. I think a lot of times you see this story and you go, well, Jesus is a good guy, so the religious leaders are the bad guy. So how foolish are they? But, you know, there is a reasonable, res- this is a reasonable response. The only, re- the only way their response is unreasonable if Jesus really is the one who made food. If he is the one who actually made the Sabbath, if literally the structure of the week was his design, then it makes sense that they are bad. But if not, their desire to kill him is kind of an understandable. You know why they would want to kill him. This guy is screwing everything up. This is how we got here. He's saying he's God. How offensive is that? Jesus has just claimed to be God. And, uh, you know, he goes further into this claim, uh, if you remember last week. So he, he claims to have a father who's God, and he claims to be God. But remember the type of God he's claiming to be, the Jewish God, the one God. There is no other. I will not share my glory with another. He says in, in chapter 14, uh, verse 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father later. So what I want to draw attention to is that um, the doctrine of the Trinity, as Christians put it, that there is one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This isn't sort of like people in a room in an ivory tower thought, you know, we need to, we need to have some fancy ways to talk about uh, what we believe and let's make it up and read it back into the, into the Bible. No, it's that Jesus came and he's talking about God as Father, but then he's like sort of also saying, that's me, I'm God. And then people who later put their faith in Jesus said, well, we're Jewish. And then, but then he talked about his father. How are we going to put all this together? We, we believe in one God. And yet he was talking about his father and himself. And then later the spirit we know is a person. And so that's where doctrine comes from often is from the actual thing happening in the middle of uh, uh, like real stuff happening. So I wanted to kind of draw that. I always thought that was really interesting. I was always just taught this is doctrine and that's how you read the Bible. And it's like, no, we read the Bible and the doctrine arises from it. Right? I think that's really important. So we get to verse 19. Because now they're, they're mad. He's claimed to be God. 19, the first half of that verse. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. So now Jesus is once again, he's self-identifying. Well, well what gives me the right to say this? I, because I'm the one who is God, the same as my father. And we have... I, I just do what my father's doing. And then we have these four, four statements, like F-O-R statements. You get four of them. And that's how he's going to talk about who he is and his identity as God. 
and his relationship to his father. So he says, I'm the one true God as is my father for, 19, the second half, for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Or in other words, for we're unified in will and in what we do. We do the same things. There's a perfect unity of wills. There's perfect submission uh, of Jesus to his father. And there's a love shown by his submission. So he's saying, for we, we do the same things. Then verse 20, the first half, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Or in other words, the father loves me and I've been shown all that he does. I'm loved by him. I know all of my father's business. And as an aside, greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Basically, I know everything he's been up to and you're gonna see even more incredible things. And this is all part of what I know and what's, what's coming. And you'll see that later, of course, in this book, but in, in, the, in the birth of the church. And he's also referencing to his return to, in glory at the end of time. For, verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Or in other words, verse 21, for I, like my father, am the life giver. So he's saying, I'm the one true God as is my father because I am a, the life giver like my father. If you're wondering, is this really a claim to be God? Look at 2 Kings 5, verse 7. Am I God to kill and make alive, says a king? So God is always the identified as the life giver. Ezekiel 37, 13, a prophecy. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open, up, I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. So yes, and you'll see later in the book of John, Jesus will raise Lazarus. It also means you'll see him raised. But the fact that he's claiming to be the life giver, there's nothing else he's trying to say. He's saying he is God, just like his father. I am the one true God and is my father, for we're unified in our will and what we do. For the Father loves me, and I've been shown all that he does. For I, like my Father, am the life giver. And lastly, verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Or in other words, for I've been given by my Father the task of judging the world. And he, so, so again, he's, he's saying, I... I do the same things as the Father. I give life. I give it in every way it's given. And by my Father's will, I alone will be the final judge. Again, only God is judge. In the Old Testament, Abraham is begging God to not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, where his, his nephew Lot lives. And, and he says in Genesis, far be it from uh, you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. And so Jesus is saying he is God. He is with his father, and as we'll see later with the spirit, he is the giver of life. And Jesus the son will be there to judge on the last day. And in what sense will he judge? We're gonna return to that, but Jesus then is saying all these things. And why has the task of judgment been given to Jesus? Why is he saying, I am getting that task? Verse 23, 
that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. Or in other words, and all this is given to me to bear testimony that I am worthy of the same honor as the Father because I am God. And to not acknowledge who I am is to not acknowledge God, right? This is not reaching for it. He's, it is very clear what he is saying. And this is a truth that you and I, we have to grapple with this morning. All that Jesus is revealing is for this purpose that all may bring honor to him. The same honor that belongs to God. Jesus is God. To worship him, to honor him, is to honor God. And then the part that's a little harder for us that he's saying, and to not honor him, is to not honor God. So the good news of the gospel is good, but it's partially good because without it, people are not honoring God. If you don't know about Jesus, then you're not honoring God. And so hear what Jesus says, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Or in other words, if you believe in me, you'll have life and you'll be spared from judgment. If you hear me, if you believe in me, you won't come into judgment because I'm the life giver. Let me give you life. And so if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't trust him, if you have not given over your life, I, I just, I can't say it any more plainly. This is what the text and what the Lord has for us and is for you this morning. Hear him, receive him, believe him as he stands here now before you. Hear him, receive him, and believe him as he stands here before you. If you are a believer, does this belief that you say you have work its way out into your life? Do you believe Jesus is God, and that he is both the giver of life and the one who will come to judge. Do you believe that? We're going to get more into that. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. We've gone over this just now. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Or in a very short way, believe me. Truly, truly, it's like, hey, believe me. There will be a final day of resurrection and judgment, and all will be seen and exposed. It's all going to be out there. Everything that's been done in secret will be seen. Everyone will give an account. And you see, we believe, yes, in a bodily resurrection. We believe that there will be a final trumpet. We believe there will be an accounting, and we will all stand before him in life and judgment. And Jesus is not just saying... You can believe it, that's going to happen. He's saying, I will be the one who has the authority and power to do this. Now, if you're a Christian, you say, well, but I've believed in Jesus, right? He, didn't he die on the cross? And, and that's what makes me safe here. I, I don't have to worry about judgment. And that is absolutely true. So I'm not saying that's not true. 
But you also have to know that there will still be an accounting of your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all, he's talking to a church here, the Corinthian church. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. James 3. This is actually for people who are teaching or doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I remember the day that uh, I was ordained to be a pastor at this church. I I, I was like, wow, what is this going to happen? You know, and then suddenly the day came and I, I, verses like this made me say, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ready, right? But believers, we can, so th- that is there. We are, that will happen. But we can ant- anticipate this day confidently, 1 John 4, 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, also are we in this world. And finally, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So... It's really interesting. I'd say if you're not a believer, you have to, we want, we're asking you to believe in Christ. We're urging you to put your faith in him or to investigate if this is true because we want you to be spared in the day of judgment. But even if you're a believer, this is still a day of accounting. This is not a day, you, you, will, you do not uh, get away with anything in some sense. Uh, it, it, you know, perhaps you will not be condemned eternally, but you will still give an account for what you've done with what God's given you. Uncomfortable, I know. I know, right? Verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Or in other words, this is true and it's going to happen. I am the judge. Believe the testimony of John because I sent him to you. And really, I would say believe the testimony of those around you, the testimony of the Spirit. Remember who's come to you to testify about me. And so to our readers, he's like saying, I'm going to come judge. And then he's saying, remember John the Baptist. You, you remember him. You trust him. I don't need his verification, but for you, I sent them so that you would believe in me. He's reminding people who John the Baptist was. John the Baptist, if you don't know, was sent ahead of Jesus, uh, uh, was born and, and a prophecy was given. And he was born with this mission to prepare people for Jesus' arrival. And he's saying, you received him. Listen to him. Heed the testimony of others. And let me ask you this morning, who has told you about the identity of Jesus in your life over the course of your life or in recent days or months? Heed their testimony. God does not actually need that to verify who he is. Jesus has the witness of the Father and the Holy Spirit. If you know in Jewish Uh, In Jewish law, you had to have the testimony of two or three witnesses. He has enough. He does not need further verification. But for you and for I, 
He's saying, I put people in your life to verify who he is. That's really, really important. That's actually why we do this, why we sit here together, why we worship him together, why we give testimony to who God is together, why we gather in community groups, why there are people who really tried in their lives to show you who the Lord is if you grew up in the church, or even why right now you got invited here because of who he is. Consider the testimony of others. We do that all the time for other things. Even if you went and researched that product you bought off the internet, you always found it more comforting if it was not the AI article reviewing the item, right? I was like, okay, I don't need, the robot wrote this, you know? It's bad, like I go on Reddit, right? Oh, those are real people, uh, I think, mostly, right? Like those people at least seem to be, they gave some good examples and like that helped me like buy this thing, right? You want the testimony of real people and God has put real people in your life to bear witness to who he is even though he doesn't actually need that. You, you, he could stand alone and never do that for us. But graciously, he's given that to us. We need to heed those people in our lives. Verse 36, the rest of it. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search for the script, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in my name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For you believed Moses. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But you do not believe his, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So to his listeners, he's saying, I have another witness even better than John, the Father. And if you knew the Father, you'd believe me, but you don't. And in fact, you don't even believe Moses, who you claim to believe. Um, he's, he's kind of pointing to the fact that their unbelief is not about, I don't have the right facts. I don't have the right evidence. I don't have people who can verify this in a way that I'd believe anything else. Maybe this morning you're sort of agnostic. There's a, a higher power you believe in or a good will. The, the testimony that Jesus is attesting to, he's basically saying, I, I, I think there's this, you could ask that power to identify itself. And if you have not, why did you not do that? I had a conversation for one, once with a guy at like a birthday party. I don't even know his name. I just ran into him. We just started talking about this. And I said, if this were true, would you want to know? Would you want it to be really true? And he said, you know, now that you're asking me, I don't want to know, and that kind of bothers me, because he was suddenly exposed that actually his knowing whether Christianity was true or not had nothing to do with the facts. It had everything to do with something else that made him not want to explore that direction. You can ask the power to identify itself if that's all you believe in. Ask it, is your name Jesus? Or who is Jesus? You can ask. Maybe you're unsure about that identity. You can ask. And Jesus is here saying, 
There is reasons beyond what you say of why you don't believe in me. There are reasons you don't believe I'm coming as the judge of the world. And I would say for you and I, that's still true even if you're a believer in Christ. It's hard to live in light of the very last day. It's hard to do that. And sometimes the reasons are not because you don't know the facts. I've just explained the facts to you now. I have trouble living under the light of understanding the last day. And sometimes those reasons are ingrained in something else. Sometimes it's pain and suffering that's happened in your life. Situations you cannot understand. Sometimes there's other things we hold against God. Why did this happen? Why is this sequence of events here right now in this chapter? What is going on? It's very important that we don't hide behind, you know, sort of facts or other circumstances as the real reasons for why we're having trouble in our walk with faith or putting our faith in Jesus and the facts of his final return. Sometimes there's something else going on. I'm having trouble because of X, Y, Z. I remember talking to someone once, and they actually, their reason for having trouble believing in Jesus had to do with something that concerned a family member of theirs. And really, they held that against God. And, I, and, and they, this person didn't say it, but it was clear. My faith in God has nothing to, to do with anything yours telling me. But how could God let this happen to my beloved person in my family? But that's something, I would say, that you can actually go to him with this morning. If Maybe you don't even know. Maybe you're kind of stuck in a place of faith. Maybe you are, grew up in church, you're Christian, but some of what I'm saying this morning is you're, you're not sure how you feel about it. Um, let us pray for you. There will be people on, on, near the window on my right. Uh, let me pray for you. We could kind of work it out together un unless you actually would prefer it not be so worked out for some other reason. And I want to challenge you, like, don't, don't let it sit there. But behold, Jesus is the giver of life. There may be a judgment coming, but John 3.16 is still sort of just happened two chapters ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. So it's interesting. Jesus will come at the end, and he will come to judge the world, but he's also come to bring you life. Let me tell you one way the judgment brings life. If you're a believer and you know that all will be exposed on the last day, what do you have to defend yourself about today? In what way do you need to fear judgment from any other direction? The opinions of others. Why do you fear how your career will be judged when that's not the real judgment on the last day? Why do you fear about how your pictures on social media will be judged or your life or the way you're parenting or the way others see you or the, or the time you've lost or the opportunities you've lost? You don't have to worry about that. All will be exposed on the last day. I'm not really going to worry so much about how I judge now, even how I judge now, because I know he's coming, and I can just live in light of the knowing that he's coming, and I don't have to live in fear, I don't have to live in condemnation, I can live knowing that he's raising me up as a son in his household, and that I have nothing to fear.
believer, what keeps you from living in that light? Living under the merciful hand and judgment of God is far better than hearing the wrong things. And then to find out in the end it was all for nothing. You were cooking the wrong food all along. Submit yourself instead to the one who made food itself. Seek his kingdom and draw close to him. Prioritize drawing close to him in this new year. Loving others as he loved us. Don't be caught off guard in the day of judgment. I remember speaking to a brother once about another brother he was not getting along with. And he seemed to just be like, it doesn't matter that I don't get along with that person. And I found myself in tears speaking to him. Saying, you don't know how important that might be. And I don't want you to be caught on the last day thinking that that was not important. Don't be caught on on the last day. Because we believe in a God who absolves us through Jesus Christ, who forgives us and raises up as children in safety to make these mistakes as we grow into his likeness. But we also know he's coming again, and that is to be taken uh, with a sense of wanting to be ready. And so Jesus lives, he reigns, he's coming again, and all will be seen, exposed, and laid, laid bare. Let's be ready for that last day. Let's pray together. Lord, it is so hard to imagine that somehow now you stand here in the room with us wanting to give us life. The kind of life that comes from the easy yoke and the light burden. The kind of life that comes when we live in light of your identity in its full. Not just standing here to make us feel better or give us comfort in this moment, but standing here as life giver and as judge that nothing evil that others have done will ever, ever be just forgotten or not judged appropriately. No one will get away with anything, but neither will we. But that we also have your forgiveness who have trusted in you. We know that in the end, you will help sort through all of this confusion, all of the difficulties in these relationships and in these situations. What was actually happening What part of this was my fault and their fault? We have no idea. How was I supposed to do this part of my job or this thing in school? Lord, we actually don't know, but we know that it's been entrusted to your wise and loving hand. And we know that you're trustworthy because you were willing to go all the way to the cross for us. We know that we can trust judgment to you because you took all of that judgment upon yourself judge with a fair and just hand, but you judge with such loving kindness and such gentleness. We see it in how you raised up Peter, who having failed you and denied you and called curses down on himself, you raised him up. You raised him up as a friend. You raised him up as a son of God and helped him to live in the way he should so that he lived all of his days for we, we want to live with you, God. We are tired of living under the judgment of other things and other ways. We would rather the food of our life, God, be made according to the one who knows how it should be made to begin with. Help us to live that way, God. Help us to walk in that way. We pray in the name of Jesus.